knowledge that fear serves a purpose. Telling me to be fearless does not give me or anyone else the space to feel what we feel. Susan Joy Schlieff of Presentations with Results shares this about her experience with fear. Fears and doubts are a normal part of every life. Pushing them away, denying them, or trying to squelch them only works in the short term. When they come back later, they are often bigger and feel even scarier. If I accept them, feel them, and breathe through them, they usually pass fairly quickly. Rather than try to be fearless, I prefer to lean into the fear, just a little, not enough to fall down. Acknowledge it, and then challenge it. If I can't find a way to change the situation, then I change my attitude about the situation by tapping into the part of me that's motivated by love. What does it mean to answer with love? First, acknowledge that you feel the fear in the first place. Let it be what it's going to be. Then notice what the fear is challenging. What button is being pushed? Is it your self-identity, your reputation, your closely held beliefs, your plans for your business, your relationships? There's a reason why the fear has so much power. You care deeply about whatever is being threatened. You care what happens to your business. You care about living in alignment with your core values. You care about the people you've chosen to have in your life. Bring up in your mind what's most important to you about those aspects of your life. Let those feelings rise to the surface. What would they say if those feelings based in love could talk to the fear? If the fear is there to protect you from being hurt, then what is the compassionate response? It might be as simple as saying, Fear, I hear you. I know you're trying to keep me from failing or getting hurt. I trust that I can handle this. At its core, responding with love means you're responding from a place of trust and peace rather than fear and anxiety. It means getting in touch not with just what's going on, but why it matters to you. Your why might be your values, your vision, or your dream. When in doubt, tune into your heart to find the big why says Black Swan coach Val Nelson. If your heart still says no, that path might not be aligned with you. Thus you learn to distinguish fear from inner wisdom. The heart knows. So far, we've talked about the internal approach to changing your relationship to fear. But the remedy you use to help you shift your perspective doesn't have to be mental. While introverts tend to be internally motivated, it also helps to consider how we learn and remember things. Are you a visual, auditory, or kinesthetic learner? Depending on your style, different triggers will have more meaning for you. For instance, photographer Colleen Carroll has a tangible reminder of what motivates her. She says, I have a talisman that I carry with me, a heart that fits in the palm of my hand carved with the word love. It reminds me that my passion is stronger than my fears. You might enjoy listening to affirmations or a meditation before going to sleep each night. I have a few pick-me-up songs that fill me with a sense of purpose and power. Some people appreciate visual cues, such as posters, plaques, or statues, that remind them of a favorite quote or inspirational figure. It doesn't really matter what form the affirmation comes in. What's most important is that you find something that's meaningful and centering to you. This process of looking your fear in the face is not always easy. It might not tell you what you want to hear. After all, what if, as Val says, the heart says no? The benefit to the introvert entrepreneur is that we don't waste time, energy, and resources barreling down a path that's not right for us. We've learned to trust our internal barometer and give power to our inner wisdom, not our fear. Fear and Scarcity Mind Over Chatter and the Overactive Introvert Brain According to ancient sage wisdom, the pathway is smooth. Why do you throw rocks before you? Imagine that your business is a path of your own making. How smooth is the road under your feet? If you listen too much to the media and people who are talking from a fear-based perspective, your road may become littered with rocks and obstacles, each one with a different label. Poor economy challenging cash flow, sales, bankruptcy, struggle, scarcity. Certainly, there are obstacles over which you have no control. 
However, when we look down the road with a critical eye, we clearly see that many of the things tripping us up are rocks we've tossed there ourselves. The role that fear plays in our lives is so common that it's been used by marketers for decades. For instance, FUD, F-U-D, a term credited to Jean Amdahl, who worked for IBM in the 1980s, stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Amdahl developed a marketing strategy that trained the sales force to instill fear, uncertainty, and doubt in the minds of its customers in regard to switching products. Stick with IBM. We're big. We're safe. You know what you're getting. If you go with another company, anything could happen, and you might not like it. The technique was subsequently employed by Microsoft and has reared its ugly head in the political arena, too. FUDs turn up not only in marketing and politics, but in how we approach our role as introvert entrepreneurs. If we get real with ourselves, we can admit that underneath the positive talk, confident face, and outgoing energy that we try to project to our colleagues, family, and friends, there are at least a few internal FUDs that we stumble over. Identifying your FUDs. While introverts aren't the only ones to experience FUDs, ours tend to share common themes that evolve around the vulnerability of making the internal external. Do any of these FUD rocks sound familiar? I'm too much of an introvert, too quiet for anyone to notice me in such a noisy marketplace. If I market too much, people will get annoyed with me. I can't handle rejection. What if my business fails and I let down my family? I'm not a good schmoozer and am terrible at sales. I'm showing up in all the right places and nothing's happening. I don't have the energy to keep putting myself out there. I'm not sure I can handle the push to keep going, going, going. Some fuds are pebbles, some are boulders. Even courageous, quote-unquote, fearless people, whether they're introverts or extroverts, have to dodge FUD rocks on the road to success. What separates the people who keep moving from those who become tripped up by the rocks in their way? They recognize that where they feel fear, there is energy. There is something that wants attention. So they bring that energy, that feeling of fear, into conscious awareness. One of the ways we can raise our awareness is to externalize the energy that's building up inside us. Joan Schulman of Full Circle Coaching reminds us that we don't have to go through that process alone. When fear creeps in, reach out to someone who really hears you. Sharing our vulnerabilities with people we trust can bring the fear out from the darkness and into the light. Not so scary. Talking through the fears can highlight that the line between fear and excitement is very thin. The same adrenaline pumps through our bodies when we're afraid as when we're excited. The difference lies in how we choose to view the situation. Often, our perspective shifts more easily if we share our fears and doubts with someone else. From there, you can make the choice to channel the energy into action rather than internalize it and allow it to sabotage you. Bringing your FUDs out into the open. It's transformative to experience the power and clarity that comes when we're able to pull the FUDs off of the hamster wheel of our internal processing and into the light, where they rarely stand up to scrutiny. Do you want to know the truth about your FUDs? They want to be heard, and they think they are keeping you safe from failure. So giving them a voice is not about focusing on fear and negativity. It's about putting FUDs in their proper place and out of your way so you can focus on building on your strengths. Whether your FUDs are simply speed bumps on your journey or paralyzing you at every turn, there's a way to work through them that helps convert the negative energy of fear into the positive energy of action. The following four steps provide a way to transform the fears into information that will move you forward. One, make a list of your FUDs. Two, perform a reality check. Three, realize you have choices. Four, choose a prosperity perspective. Make a list of your FUDs. A good way to get all of your FUDs off the hamster wheel is to get them down on paper. Introverts are fabulous at thinking things through, but there comes a time when writing those thoughts down and externalizing them is important to your process. Write down the FUDs that are in your way in any area of your business. 
This may include marketing, finances, networking, an important decision, or the next big leap in your business. Here are some fears, uncertainties, and doubts I've experienced or heard from introvert entrepreneur clients. If she wins, I lose. It's better to isolate to keep ideas close to the vest. Small is safe. If I go to the event, I won't know what to say. I'm not cut out to sell myself or my ideas. Do any of these sound familiar or spark another idea for you? Be as specific or as general as you want. Let it all out. List every FUD, no matter how large, trivial, scary, or petty it feels. Suspend judgment of yourself and your FUDs. Release the FUDs to the paper and then don't think about them. Put the list away for the rest of the day, or the week if you prefer. Perform a reality check. After you've gained some distance from your FUD list, you can approach it with a more objective eye. Review your list and look for two things, assumptions and limiting beliefs. Assumptions are made either on past experience or future projections. They might sound like this. It's going to be difficult. I need a degree to do that. We can't afford that. I won't like it. We'd never get along. He probably hates me. Others will get hurt if I... No one will help me. Everyone will think it's a silly idea. Limiting beliefs are ways we make ourselves small by focusing on the negative, such as, I'm not smart enough. I'm too old. I'm too fat. I'm only good at this one thing. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. I can have either this or that, not both. It's too late for me. Many FUDs that pop up in business are assumptions. It's too hard to start a blog. No one is spending money. Others are most likely limiting beliefs. I've been in business only a year, so the only way I'll get new clients is if I give things away. Label each of your FUDs, either assumptions that need evidence or limiting beliefs that weigh you down. Assumptions can be proven or disproven through honest self-reflection and evidence gathering. Once you have obtained evidence, you can make an informed decision based on reality. For instance, let's take, we can't afford that. This one has popped up for me numerous times. For almost four years, I edited and produced my own podcasts. It was a time-consuming project, but I enjoyed the process, and I especially enjoyed having complete control. More important, I assumed that it would cost too much to contract with someone to assist me. Another assumption, even if it didn't cost that much, I wouldn't have the money anyway. Finally, one day, I reached the end of my rope. I had a backlog of podcasts and people waiting for their interviews to be posted. I posted the job on elance.com and within an hour had 18 freelance producers bidding on my project. And guess what? The investment they were asking for was a fraction of what I'd assumed. If I hadn't gathered the evidence, I would have continued under the false assumption that contracting with someone wasn't an option. I would have continued to struggle along, alone, and not realizing that the money I spent on a contractor could be easily recovered, and then some, by the valuable revenue-generating time I freed up. Limiting beliefs often are more personal in nature and require more soul-searching. They arise from deep within, with their roots in past experiences. As such, they can appear to be larger than life. One quick way to right-size them is by challenging them with the question, is that true? The answer is usually, no, that's not entirely true. From that awareness, choices can emerge, and you'll find yourself well on your way to getting unstuck. If you want to learn more about this idea, read the work of Byron Katie. What if you look at a FUD and think, but that one's true? Look deeper. Is it true? What evidence do you have? And if it really is true and an objective fact, is your fear about the truth itself, or is it about your ability to handle and respond to that truth? Realize you have choices. When we're caught in a cycle of fear, we often forget that we have choices. For instance, you might feel you have no choice but to do a project yourself because it would take too long to bring someone else in. You fear losing control of the situation. Contracting with someone equals headaches, right? But you want to reduce your stress. What if there were other ways to accomplish that? 
There are other choices that can surface when you release the assumptions. Maybe you contract for support on only a specific part of the project, or you extend the timetable, or you decide to reduce its scope, or you could decide to live with the stress knowing it's short-term. When FUDs are identified as assumptions or limiting beliefs, you're able to see more clearly that choices exist. Then you can decide how you're going to respond to each of your FUDs. Rather than accepting a particular solution by default and with a sense of powerlessness, you are intentionally choosing your response. Choose a prosperity perspective. At the heart of a prosperity perspective is beginning to think in terms of both and rather than either or. The latter places limiting beliefs around our situation. I can either start doing live events or I'll never reach new clients. Just as limiting is the if-then scenario. For example, if I don't offer the lowest price, then people won't buy. When you catch yourself thinking in terms of if-then or either-or statements, stop. Consider if what you're saying is really true. At a minimum, those words are an indicator that you're cutting yourself off from choice. You're limiting your options. Let's look at the pricing example. There is truth to the idea that if your prices aren't low enough, people won't buy. But that's not the only truth. There's also the possibility that if your prices are too low, people will devalue your product. Can what you have to offer be good if it's that cheap? If you start low and train clients or customers to expect low prices, it'll be difficult to raise them later. If you start higher, you can always offer discounts later. You're starting with low prices because you have doubts about your value. If you doubt it, others will as well. You can find a mid-range of price points that stretch both you and your customer in a positive way. Once you start recognizing the other possibilities, you have lessened the power that fear has over you. You might still decide to lower your price. But in that case, the decision to do so is based on thoughtful reflection and strategy rather than fear. There's a big difference in the way that feels to you and comes across in the market. From this vantage point, there is more than enough of everything you need and want for your business and success. Choice has replaced fear. Shift your energy and choose excitement over fear. Commit to a new perspective. Recall what I said earlier about the purpose of fear and what happens if we ignore it? It will keep coming back. Knock, knock, knock until we acknowledge it. For example, you could say, FUD, I hear you and know that you're trying to protect me from risk and failure. Thank you for your concern. I've thought about what you said, and my intention going forward is to place a high value on what I have to offer, show up with enthusiasm, and enroll two new clients this month. Write down your new commitments and integrate them into your vision for your business and action plan. Include your intention along with each action step so that you keep front and center why you are not willing to give in to your assumptions and limiting beliefs. Let's say you have an outline for a local live workshop you eventually want to go national. You're struggling to come up with just the right price point, and you're afraid if you set it too high, people won't come. Yet, you also want the workshop and any products that come out of it to account for 25% of your annual revenue. Now, consider these questions. What is your overall intention for the first workshop? What do you want to experience? What do you want your participants to experience? What seeds do you want to be planting? Taking those questions into account, your intention might sound like this. With this first workshop, I intend to deliver a high-quality, information-rich experience for my attendees. I want to learn about their needs more clearly so I can create an expanded offering for more people in the future. Given that intention, the pricing dilemma takes a backseat to the experience. Being grounded in your vision and intention takes some of the power away from the fear around money. This makes it a bit easier to listen to your inner wisdom around what's most important and what will move you to action, and a price you feel good about, rather than keeping you stuck in the fear. When you try this four-step process on your own, it may not be as clear-cut as it appears here. And for the commitment to translate into results, you will need to develop an action plan. It's helpful to work through this process with a coach, mentor, or trusted colleague. We're sometimes too close to the FUDs. 
The thought patterns are deep-rooted, and our emotions keep us from being objective enough to see where scarcity thinking is showing up and manifesting itself. I recommend you find someone you trust, with whom you feel completely safe, to support you through the process. On the road to prosperity and intention, there will always be a few pebble fuds and maybe the occasional boulder. They show up because we're human, and sometimes we need to vent and have something to kick or throw around. But at least now we recognize what's happening and have a process to help shift our energy. Knowing the difference between fear and discomfort. One key to taking control over your fuds is knowing how to distinguish fear from discomfort. Discomfort is a feeling of uneasiness or distress. It's often just the residual ickiness that fear leaves behind, and the only way to wash it off is to move into action. The Random House Dictionary defines discomfort as an absence of comfort or ease, uneasiness, hardship, or mild pain. There are plenty of times in our entrepreneurial journey when we'll feel an absence of comfort. Comfort is sending an email. Discomfort is picking up the phone. Comfort is skipping happy hour after the conference sessions. Discomfort is stopping in for a while. Those activities might induce mild discomfort, but that's different from outright fear. According to the Random House Dictionary, fear is a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, etc., whether the threat is real or imagined. We often collapse the labels of fear and discomfort. We use them to describe the same feeling, not unlike how people collapse introvert and shy. But if we tease them apart, there's a big difference between something causing uneasiness and something being dangerous or evil. There is no danger in picking up the phone or attending an event. No great evil will emerge if you speak up in front of the group or initiate a conversation with a prospect. When I put it that way, it almost sounds silly to label those feelings as fears. It's not. In the moment, you might be experiencing a true fight-or-flight response. The idea is to question the emotion and sit with it a bit. Is it truly fear, or is it discomfort? Do you actually feel threatened or simply uncomfortable? It might not appear to be a particularly profound distinction, but I found for my clients and me, it's important. There's a big difference in the way it feels to say, I'm terrified of networking, and... Networking is uncomfortable for me. One sounds like a relatively unalterable state, and the other like something that can be moved through or transformed. After all, any time you're doing something new, you're liable to experience discomfort. If you give yourself credit for all of the discomforts you work through on a daily basis, you're well on your way to knowing that you can handle it. Remember, Fear is primal and thus requires more reflection and time to transcend it. But a word of caution, sitting with the fear does not mean overthinking it. As Claudine Motto shares, I can overanalyze situations and have to jolt myself into making decisions. I work very hard to stay aware of that and make a conscious effort to identify which problems or situations deserve careful thinking and research and consideration and which do not. Normal, healthy fear of making a mistake can be hideously distorted by turning over and over in our heads the endless possibilities of what could go wrong. While extroverts may talk themselves out of something, introverts think themselves out of it. Peter Vogt, author of The Introvert Manifesto, Introverts Illuminated, Extroverts Enlightened, explains it this way. I think too much, analyze too much, worry too much, or so it seems. I need to act more and think less, though that doesn't mean not thinking at all. Honestly, I think I'm in my own way for the most part. I sometimes find myself in a situation similar to the one Indiana Jones, played by Harrison Ford, encountered in the movie when he was rescuing his dad, Sean Connery. Remember the part of the movie where Indiana had to take a step into, well, air, before the bridge appeared that would take him across the gorge? That's how I feel right now about my business. I want to take the steps, but I see a gorge and no bridge. Yet the bridge won't appear unless and until I take my first step. 
I feel like I've begun that process, but it's always a work in progress. How many times since you started your business have you made a choice to take a step into what looks like thin air? And what happened when you did? You may have felt like you were free-falling for a while, uncertain where you were going to land. The landing might have been soft, or it might have been rough and rude. In either case, you found a way to move through the discomfort and any fears that went with it. You honored your introvert preference to reflect on the experience and notice what you learned. You sat with it long enough to hear the inner wisdom. And finally, you dusted yourself off, picked yourself up, and moved on. Fear and Overwhelm How to Eat an Elephant Sometimes I find myself saying the same thing over and over to myself and to others. One particular piece of repetitive wisdom that I appreciate is this. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. It seems that so many people in my life, clients, friends, family, are always on the verge of total overwhelm. They're always in the throes of a big goal or project, and the enormity of the task casts a shadow over them that feels dark and ominous. My shadow over the past few years, actually my dream, was the audiobook that you're listening to right now, the one I had in my head that felt called to be in the world. I started thinking of the book-shaped shadow as an elephant, and that led to fearing the beast was going to sit right down and squash the life out of me. We know intellectually that the best way to accomplish something big is to approach it in smaller pieces. This is not only common sense. It's an advantageous approach for introverts who want to pace their energy so they have enough internal resources to finish strong. So why do we run into trouble? Why are we weighed down by the shadow rather than buoyed by the dream? Most likely, we have some fear. We've made up internal stories about the humongous elephant that represents our goal. It's too much. I'll never finish it. What if I succeed? What if I fail? What if I get what I want? We're by turns motivated and deflated by the sight of that elephant's shadow. As I mentioned, our first instinct is to break the big task down into small pieces, assuming that there's nothing else getting in our way besides the sheer size of it. It's a solid approach. Figure out what your end goal is, then figure out the first steps that need to happen to get you from where you are now to where you want to be. Focus on only one step, one bite, at a time. When you finish one thing, move on to the next. Before you take the first bite. This process can be made even more effective if you spend some time in reflection first, doing that inner wisdom gut check. Remember, as an introvert, you likely have a strong internal compass. You want to be sure it's pointing in the right direction. Before you even begin to chunk out the work, there are a few things you should do to make sure you're even pursuing the right goal. The first thing is to reflect on your relationship to the elephant. Is it your elephant? In other words, is it your goal, or did someone dump it on you? Are you working on what you think you should be doing, or setting a goal based on someone else's expectations? This is something for which introverts need to cultivate a sixth sense. If there's pressure to be more extroverted in the way you're choosing to move forward, and that pressure could be self-inflicted, you may be taking on goals that sound grand and noble, but aren't sustainable or practical, or that simply aren't you. If it's not your elephant, decide how much power you want to give it. For introverts, our energy is our most precious asset. We have to be sure we're spending it on pursuits that move us forward in the direction that's most important to us. Otherwise, we'll waste valuable energy in the push-pull between our desires and someone else's. Our own elephants are big enough without taking on ones that don't belong to us. Look at your goals. What do you have a choice about? Can you let go of goals or projects that you've only taken on to please others? Let's assume you've determined the elephant is one of your choosing. You've named it My Best Selling Book, or Revamping My Website, or Leading an Association Committee, or Restructuring My Fees. How do you feel when you think about being on the other side, accomplished and full? 
It feels great, doesn't it? Try renaming the elephant to reflect what you want to feel rather than what you want to do. Focus on your intention, which is to say, on what experience you want to have. Using this guidance, my book Elephant Slash Goal might sound like this. I feel empowered and confident as I share my unique voice with the world by writing a best-selling book. How does that help you? By focusing on what you want to feel, you are opening yourself to possibility. You're also open to different outcomes and not attached to a specific result. It may be that your goal will take on a completely different spin over time. If you hold on rigidly to a particular outcome, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Your elephant might evolve, and if you're too focused on a specific result appearing at a specific time, you might miss an even better result. Epictetus says, first say to yourself what you would be, and then do what you have to do. Stepping out of the shadows. Even if you've confirmed your goal, broken it into smaller chunks, and set clear intentions, there are still times when you'll forget that where there is a shadow, there is also light. Here are a few additional tips for making sure the shadow of your goal doesn't leave you in total darkness. Be authentic. The more your goal truly arises from your authentic self, the more likely you are to be committed and take action. This is particularly important for introverts as they decide how to accomplish their goals. Let's say your goal is to increase your visibility through public speaking. An extrovert might start by attending lots of events to meet people, calling up program chairs to inquire about the process of being selected, and making a video to post online. Their instinct is to reach out and start talking to people. The introvert may start with some online research, perhaps creating a list of prospective speaking engagements. We would make sure we knew which topics we wanted to pitch before we started talking to people. Then we might start with email queries and requests to friends and colleagues for introductions. The good news is that both approaches work. But if the introvert does it the people-first way, he may become exhausted by trying to work out his strategy through the process of talking to others. And if the extrovert starts with research, she might become impatient and frustrated that it's taking too long. Honor your natural instincts about how you want to accomplish your goal. As Carl Jung said, the shoe that fits one person pinches another. There is no recipe for living that suits all cases. Know when to just say no. You have choices about when you say yes and no. Be mindful how those choices affect your introvert energy. If you say yes to one thing, you may decide to balance it out by finding something of equal value to say no to. By always evaluating your energy expenditure, you'll be better able to keep everything moving forward without sacrificing your sanity. An extrovert might feel energized by having the equivalent of a three-ring circus in his office with lots of moving parts. But an introvert would do better to limit herself to one ring at a time in order to focus on what's most immediately important. Some plate spinning is okay for a while and may even give an introvert a boost, as those of us who use the adrenaline generated by procrastination as a motivational tool can attest. Overall, however, it's helpful to watch for the tipping point when you're keeping one too many plates spinning. You want to be alert for the window of opportunity to say no to something and prevent the whole mess from crashing down. Celebrate your wins. Each time you reach a milestone, celebrate it. We tend to be content with feelings of internal satisfaction when we've accomplished something, and we move on without giving it full acknowledgement. Then a few days, weeks, or months later, we're wondering why we feel so tired and like we're not making any progress. I think it's because we've not taken time to acknowledge what we did in a meaningful and often external way. Celebrating externally doesn't come naturally to introverts. Our instinct is to keep it private. Extroverts are more likely to reward themselves because their motivation rests in external recognition. This keeps them going and moving on to the next step, always seeing that there's a reward waiting for them. By contrast, the introvert says, well, I'll wait until I'm completely done before I reward myself. 
Just as you broke up the goal into smaller action steps, break up the rewards, too. Cement each win by treating yourself. Hit pause and take time to appreciate your progress. Take an afternoon off. Visit with a friend over a long lunch. Share a quick, I finished the first part of my project, announcement on social media. This serves the dual purpose of self-acknowledgement and receiving a few kudos from the people who care about you. Enjoy a few minutes of quiet, or close the door, pull the blinds, and indulge in a 15-second or longer dance party. By acknowledging your progress, you'll replenish your spirit with positive energy, which you can then channel into taking the next bite. Enlist kindred spirits. Surround yourself with people who will support you. They may be friends, colleagues, family members, a coach, mentor, or advisor. Keep connected to people who inspire, encourage, and challenge you. An extrovert will naturally surround himself with people because that's how he works best. He'll want multiple channels of input and feed off the connections within a group. When he hits a roadblock, he has a ready group of people to call on for assistance. An introvert will have people to turn to, but it may be a smaller group. We've learned over time that some people, even well-meaning friends who love us, can be a drain on our energy. If we reach out for help, we're opening ourselves up to the possibility of more stress. Our friends or family may think they are being helpful, but somehow the advice they offer runs tangential or counter to our needs. As you think about who you want to surround yourself with, choose carefully. Consider who among your colleagues has the most positive, generous spirit. You want to connect with people who are working from an attitude of abundance. And just because someone offers to be your mentor or advisor doesn't mean you have to take her up on it. You can either be direct and say, Thanks for your advice. You've made me realize how much I would benefit from working with a coach, so I've hired one. Or just avoid encouraging the relationship by saying no thanks to a coffee date and let it fade. It helps to remember, if you say yes to the not-an-ideal-fit person, you're saying no to having meaningful space for another, more aligned match. Call them kindred spirits. These colleagues serve as your cheerleaders, reality checkers, and sounding boards. Wherefishsing.com's Fiona Morgan, a self-proclaimed introvert entrepreneur, finds value in talking with others when she's faced with a challenging goal. She shares, When I identify a weak area, I look for someone I know who is really capable in this area. I observe them operating and ask them how they approach the area in their mind. It helps to have the perspective of someone who is successful at something I want to learn how to do. How they think about it is usually radically different from how I have been thinking about it. As Morgan reaches out, she's stretching herself into a place that's not always comfortable for introverts. Our tendency is to try to figure out the challenge ourselves. But in so doing, we're denying ourselves the opportunity to gain fresh perspective. Morgan's approach, reflect on a specific challenge, find someone who has faced it and succeeded, and ask her how she thinks about it, is very introvert-friendly. Most people love being asked for advice. It's flattering to them. Keep that in mind if you feel self-conscious about reaching out for help. Chances are the person will be happy to share. Trust the process. By focusing on the experience you want to have and making choices based on your intention, you can trust that you are moving toward your goal, even if things look different from what you anticipated. Acknowledge the process you have chosen. Being an introvert entrepreneur is not the path of least resistance. Here's how Christian Marie Heron of Heron Media puts it. My mantra is that most people are not brave enough to even start their own business. If it was easy, everyone would do it. What I have learned as an entrepreneur is that the icky feelings are part of the territory and that as long as you do something every day, write, make a call, learn a new marketing skill, these feelings will always be temporary. Over time, you gain the wisdom of knowing that you are on the right path even if you can't see clearly where you are. What I appreciate about Heron's perspective is that it applies to all entrepreneurs, introvert or extrovert. For the introvert, it's especially important to balance the internal processing with external action. 
remind yourself that you are brave for starting a business in the first place. Use that knowledge to put whatever's happening in context. You're up to big things, and few things worth doing are ever easy. Above all, keep in mind that the only way to eat an elephant, the only way to move through your fears, is one bite at a time. St. Francis of Assisi says, Start by doing what's necessary, then do what's possible, and suddenly you are doing the impossible. Introvert Entrepreneur Focus Betsy Talbot, author and founder of Married with Luggage Question What was the catalyst for making the leap from being, in your own words, like the Energizer Bunny on a dead battery, to being a world traveler and author? Answer Before jumping full-time into being a location-independent entrepreneur, I was a successful professional in the medical records technology business. I loved the problem-solving aspects of my work, but the rest of the job took its toll on my energy. The part I hated the most was the constant travel to client sites and business meetings, where I was expected to socialize after hours with clients and coworkers. It left me feeling exhausted all the time, so much so it was impacting my marriage. I eventually decided to leave the company to create my own consulting firm. Then my brother had a heart attack, and a good friend suffered an aneurysm in her 30s. That shook us awake, and my husband, Warren, and I asked ourselves, what would we change about our lives right now if we knew we wouldn't make it to our 40th birthdays? We instantly knew we wanted to travel the world, and after the exhilaration of that idea wore off, the fear set in. How could we afford this? What would we do for a living? How could we give up what we've already built? Question. How did you move through those fears? Answer. My introvert instincts kicked in and provided a way forward. Rather than give in to the worry, we started doing some research and taking small steps forward. It was through that process that we had an epiphany. Track our fears, questions, and actions publicly via a website. If we had these kinds of questions about a big lifestyle change, wouldn't other people contemplating big changes have the same questions? Facing the fear gave us the best business idea of our lives. Question. What would you recommend to an introvert entrepreneur who is feeling anxiety about moving forward with a big idea or dream? Answer. First and foremost, remember, it's bigger than you. Once we fully realized that the business we were creating was bigger than us, the fear dissipated. Our focus was on other people which made it easy to slough off the smaller fears. I also realized that by making myself so vulnerable online, I was creating a support network of thousands of people who could offer encouragement. Plus, having everything documented meant that any time I faced a new fear, I could look to my past for parallel situations. In most cases, I'd encountered, and overcome, something similar before. It was powerful to acknowledge my strengths and build on my past successes. Now I consider fear a compass. When it crops up, I know I'm on to something. Chapter 3, Finding Your Voice Always do right. This will gratify some people and astonish the rest. Mark Twain The truth will set you free. Any entrepreneur who expects to build a thriving business must have two things, clarity of purpose and awareness of core values. Your purpose and values serve as litmus tests for every choice you make, from what services to offer, to whom you collaborate with, to the clients you decide to work with. An integral part of the values clarification process is finding your truth with a capital T. As we heard in Chapter 1, Introverts can have their personal truth obscured by well-meaning people who expect them to be different from who they are. Jim Hessler, an introvert colleague and management consultant, shares that when he first took the Myers-Briggs type indicator, his result was almost the complete opposite type of what he actually was. He later realized that he grew up playing a role, filling a need in his family of being the logical, steady, outgoing extrovert. The people around him had so much influence over how he saw himself 
that it wasn't until many years later, when he was in his mid-forties, that he realized who others expected him to be and who he actually was were two very different things. If he had continued relying on those external projections, his life choices would be consistently out of step with his truth. His new awareness enabled him to make more intentional choices that brought him into resonance with himself to the benefit of both his professional and family life. This chapter is all about establishing a solid foundation for your business so that what you build it on is, from the start, a reflection of who you are and what's most important to you. We're first going to look in more detail at what it means to find your truth, why core values are vital and how to identify them, how to clarify your entrepreneurial purpose, and how to tap into the power of a beginner's mind. What is your truth? This is a question that comes up frequently during coaching sessions with my clients. As we navigate through a situation or sticking point, the bottom line question is often, what's true? We get so caught up in the FUD-generated stories about how things should be that we lose touch with how they are. Even as introverts, who typically look inward for guidance, we can spend lots of time listening to others and looking outside ourselves for the answers to our challenges. The entrepreneurial journey can be full of uncertainty, so we look for outside validation and information from people who've been there, done that. The challenge comes when those voices end up being louder than our inner wisdom. A certain amount of looking externally for information on how we should build a successful business is necessary. It's called research. Ultimately, however, once the information is gathered, it's critical to turn off the radar and let the information germinate. Combine it with what you already know without asking anyone else. By doing that, the choice, the truth, is yours alone. Few things articulate this point more beautifully than the words of essayist and critic William Duresowitz in a speech he gave at West Point in October 2009. He said, My first thought is never my best thought. My first thought is always someone else's. It's always what I've already heard about the subject, always the conventional wisdom. It's only by concentrating, sticking to the question, being patient, letting all the parts of my mind come into play, that I arrive at an original idea. Let's consider that for a moment. My first thought is never my best thought. We're always told to go with your first instinct, and certainly there's a place for that. Sometimes that works. Other times, though, when the problem or situation is more intellectual or concrete, we need to give ourselves space for reflection, to connect the dots, to come up with an original thought, to find our truth with a capital T. And that's part of what differentiates successful introvert entrepreneurs from the rest of the pack. You have taken time to have original thoughts. Rather than follow the conventional wisdom, you've put energy into coming to your own conclusions. It doesn't require conscious effort to be bolder or louder or more noticeable than anyone else. You'll become those things naturally when you give yourself space and grace to be comfortable sitting in reflection. Even though most introverts have a powerful relationship with their inner world, spending your precious energy deep in thought, sifting through often conflicting information, can be exhausting. Duresowitz went on to tell us why it's so important, despite the energetic cost. He related the story of a hazing scandal at a U.S. naval base and challenged his audience to consider what they would have done if they'd been involved in such a horrible situation. The cadets wouldn't have had time to reflect in the heat of the moment on what they believed in. That's why it's critical to know thyself before you are confronted with a challenge to your beliefs. Your energy is well spent being proactive and determining your values so that you can summon up the courage to act on them when the time comes. As Duresowitz noted, you don't wait until you're in the line of fire for the first time to learn to shoot your weapon. Making choices based on your truth is not for the faint of heart. It's not enough to simply know thyself. You must be willing to act on that knowledge. When you come up against a choice that goes contrary to your ideals, you must respond accordingly. You can't pretend not to know. 
and that takes guts. It takes courage. It's worth taking substantial time to think about these issues when your business is still in its infancy, and even if it's into adulthood. While your core values will most likely remain consistent over time, it's also worth the time to do a check-in every once in a while, even if you've been in business for years. In fact, the longer you're in business, the more important it is to do these check-ins. Ask yourself if you are clear about where you stand on issues of importance to you and your business. You don't want to be forced into making a critical business decision based on fear or panic. You want to be able to act based on the security of your values. Sales success coach Shambe Brown puts it simply, The truth will set you free. And the truth that sets me free is that I'm Shambe and you're not. How wonderful is that? He is always secure in his truth because he is secure in himself. He knows that he has gifts that only he can give. It doesn't matter if what he's sharing has been shared a million times before. No one else can say, write, or think it like he can. Secure in that knowledge, he is free to express and live his truth. He is free to be the best Shambe he can be. What's my truth besides, I'm Beth and you're not? It's a question I ask every day. Words of truth that bubble up are compassion, intention, grace. Grounded in those values, I can make choices based on what's right for me instead of what someone else tells me I should be doing. As an introvert, you know, the truth isn't out there, it's in you. Company culture and values, not just for the big guys. If you're a solopreneur, Chances are you've not given a lot of thought to your company culture. And if you have employees, you've probably noticed a particular culture developing, and it may or may not be intentional. In reading the enlightening corporate history of Zappos, Delivering Happiness by introverted CEO Tony Shea, I was reminded that the concept of culture is highly relevant, whether you are a company of one or 1,000. It's the place where values, truth, and purpose come together. According to Shea, your culture is your brand. They are two sides of the same coin. We all recognize the importance of our brand. Have we paid equal attention to our culture? Because culture and brand are on the same coin, alignment is the key to making sure your business cultivates and sustains strong value. Value does not simply mean financial results. For purposes of this discussion, value is an expression of what you hold to be true and what is most important in your life and business. Values can include ideals such as adventure, agility, boldness, compassion, discipline, freedom, humor, openness, passion, resourcefulness, and trust. When you as an introvert entrepreneur choose to intentionally create or contribute to a positive company culture, you have stepped away from being isolated or apart and toward proactively building a community around your business based on your core values. Your business choices are determined by discerning where and how your values align with your options. Why is this important? As business owners and change agents, we're pulled in multiple directions by any number of people, each with his own agenda. That can contribute to feeling scattered and losing sight of our original vision. Energy diffused is energy lost. With a clear values home base, we can filter out the noise that distracts us from our purpose. Here are three steps for clarifying and aligning your values, which form the foundation of your business culture and brand. Identify your values, align your values, choices, and actions, Bring the fuzzy spots into focus. Identify your values. Your values are your stake in the ground, the words that represent you and what you stand for. Zappos has 10 core values that permeate every level of the company and form the basis for every decision it makes. Among their values are service, change, fun, growth, teamwork, efficiency, and humility. In the spirit of sharing, here are my core values. Truth, gratitude, freedom, love, contribution, curiosity, acknowledgement, and growth. What are yours? 
take your values and put them someplace where you can see them regularly. As your desktop background, a screensaver, at the start of your business plan, or posted on your website. For example, I made a Wordle, see wordle.net to make your own, out of my values, printed out the image, and put it above my desk. A values identification exercise can be found in the resources section of theintrovertentrepreneur.com. Align your values, choices, and actions. Look at each area of your business. People. Your relationships with clients, customers, vendors, collaborators, advocates. Product. Goods, services, and offerings. Presence. Marketing, social media, networking. And process. Finances, time management, organization. How well are your choices and actions aligned with your values in each of these areas? For instance, if you value gratitude, how is that being reflected in how you relate to each of these four core areas? Ideally, your values form the lens through which you evaluate all of your ideas and decision points. Looking through a lens of gratitude or other values such as truth or authenticity, you can evaluate each area of your business and see whether you're in or out of focus with your values. Bring the fuzzy spots into focus. Chances are you'll determine that, by and large, you are doing a good job expressing your values through your business. You may also notice that certain values are not showing up clearly. Here's a personal example. I value a culture of freedom. I want to experience ease and flow in all areas of my business, particularly as related to freedom around my finances and time. In reality, I often feel constricted. There's not enough time and money to do what I want to do. I've not invited freedom into my business. On occasion, I've allowed mild panic to take over. I shut down and default to scarcity mode, which means I don't have any energy to extend myself to prospects and colleagues. Noticing this misalignment is an invitation to change. It's an opportunity to become curious and clarify exactly what freedom means to me. It's a chance to define how it would feel to create more freedom through my financial and time management processes. Then I can make choices and take action that support that value. If you intentionally align your choices with your personal values, your business will naturally grow based on what's most important to you and how you've defined success. You'll also find that your days and activities have more flow and require less exertion. You will naturally have more energy to fuel your relationships. Your choices will reinforce and advance your values. The fuzzy spots you noticed are probably values that you have not fully defined for yourself. Clarity of definition and purpose will support making choices that snap everything into focus. Our business culture is an external expression and extension of our values and involves everyone in our circle of peers, clients, and supporters. We teach others how to treat us. Through the intentional creation of a values-based company culture, we can assure that we're sending out the right signals that help us all treat each other in accordance with our values. Your Dent in the Universe Steve Jobs Let's make a dent in the universe. Before you took the step that catapulted you over the edge of the cliff, you probably worked for someone else. You were satisfied, but also had ideas. Big ideas. It seemed that whenever you had a big idea, it wasn't enough to let it take the form of a hobby or curiosity. Your mind went immediately to the question, how can I monetize this? Or you began to have visions of the way your idea could change the world or your life. You decided to make a dent in the universe. Just by the very act of saying, I'm an entrepreneur, you are demonstrating incredible initiative. You are interested in making things happen and doing it your own way. This either leads you to carving out a more entrepreneurial role within your company or going completely out on your own. Success is connected to being clear on the size and shape of your personal dent and then taking the initiative to make the dent happen. Here are some key questions to ask yourself as you discern your core purpose. 
What can I accomplish through this business that I can't accomplish any other way? How will the world, yes, the world, be different because of my business? What will this business leave me free to be and do? How will this business enable me to express my strengths, talents, and individuality? Your answers add up to your purpose statement, which becomes the wings that help you soar once you've gone over the edge of the cliff. Consider how you would fill in these blanks. Through my business, I will realize my vision of Through my business, I will realize my vision of. The world will be different because. This business will give me the freedom to. And to express. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. We will be really thankful if you support us by clicking the link in the description so that we continue to create amazing content for you.